Welcome to the Taylor and Jen podcast. Mornings with Taylor and Jen. There's a lot of things going on in our world. Do we really need to worry about how people cook their steak? This is what matters, Jen. You think it is? No, not no, really. No, I don't. Life 107.1. There's a lot of things you need to worry about in life, decisions that you make. This shouldn't be one of them. Oh, but it is. But, I, but we just want to let you know that a study has come out that says people form an opinion about you based on how you like your steak cooked. <laughs> Seriously. It's, what, what, it was like two-thirds of Americans? Well, yeah. It depends on where you are. In the Northeast, they're the most judgy. Ah, they steak uh, judgers. 60% of them judge you favorably or unfavorably based on how you make your steak. And up to 53% of them said they wouldn't even date somebody who did steak differently than they did. See, that to me is where the study gets crazy. Like, you, you have your dating screening question. How yeah. do you order your steak? Exactly. Oh, you like it rare? No thanks. And I think that's crazy. I mean, I remember eating steak in one way, and I got shamed in <laughs> into eating steak a different way. But, I mean, really... There's a lot of things going on in our world. Do we really need to worry about how people cook their steak? This is what matters, Jen. You think it is? No, not really. No, I don't. Now the little steak idiosyncrasies are starting to come out. I mean... If you just say, oh, I just like my steak medium, it's kind of boring. Mm-hmm. And we, we want to hear about the ways that you take your steak that might be a little bit surprising to us. I do like a medium well steak, but that's not the shameful part. The shameful part is that my favorite steak sauce is the au jus from the steak mixed with ketchup. And I will go in the fanciest steakhouse and I will shamefully but still pridefully <laughs> ask for ketchup. <laughs> Oh, I bet that makes them happy. I get the same look every single time, no matter where I'm at. I mean, we can go to a four or five star steakhouse and just picture the look of the waitstaff when you say, I'm also going to need a little ketchup with that. Does it make you happy? It makes me very happy. That's why I embrace the shame. I was going to say, you walk away from the table and it's been a good meal and your belly is full and you've supported the Iowa beef industry. Absolutely. So there's no shame in it. No shame. Good for you. Order your medium well steak with ketchup and pride. (laughs) At some point in time, you just got to love yourself, right? There you go. There you go. So happy there aren't a lot of strong opinions on this one. I know, yeah. Everybody's very relaxed, willing to go with the flow. Apparently not. A study came out that said, especially people in the Northeast, Mm -hmm. which I could pick on them because that's where I was born. They judge you based on how you take your steak. Which is a weird thing to judge people by, but okay. And we're learning how everybody is taking their steak right now. If I order my steak, I'm going to get it well done. And I'm going to have A1 sauce with it because I'm buying it. So what about your mom and dad? Did they also cook it well done? Oh, my mom and dad, it was take it or leave it. With seven kids, you just kind of took it the way she had time to make it. And sometimes people forget how long it was cooking. <laughs> and when I cooked, it was like the smoke detector's going off. It's time to eat now. <laughs> it's the alarm. Oh, steak's yeah, done. It's time to eat now. We're talking about steak. Mm. The very personal decision of how you take your steak apparently is a way that people can judge you. So we've been chatting about, you know, how do you like your steak? Why do you like it that way? Mm -hmm. How did you come to that conclusion? But, you know, this is Iowa. Yeah. So 
you would have expected at some point that an expert would weigh in. And we have an expert on steak with us now. My steak preference is medium rare. And I'll tell you why. Okay. So, growing up, I lived on a beef cattle farm, and my family, we always had it rare. Well... I'm a meat scientist now, about to graduate with my master's degree in meat science from Iowa State. And I, because of the science, have figured out that medium rare tastes really good because you not only get the juiciness, but you get the unique flavor profile of the fat, so it's really good. So I would recommend that people try it medium rare, even though it is a little juicy. It's not blood. It's just myoglobin that's coming from it. So it's just the protein. Okay. You heard it here, folks. You're a meat scientist. You are a meat scientist getting your master's degree from the Iowa State University. I don't... And you grew up on a beef farm. A beef farm in old Virginia. Okay, seriously, (laughs) I don't know how anybody could be more qualified than you. I'm going to go order a steak medium rare tonight. Just for you. I'm telling you, yes. I have been a believer for a long time. But one thing that we don't really talk an awful lot about is heaven. We talk about it in kind of the vague terms. We, you know, we get this idea, you know, we're going to be on clouds and we're going to be singing to Jesus all the time, which in and of itself, that's nice and everything. But that is not what the new heaven and the new earth are going to be like at all. And if you start to read about what God gives us little hints of Mm -hmm. what the kingdom and what heaven is going to be like, you start to think, wow, many, 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 many times I have heard the Beatitudes I have heard things like, you know, blessed are the peacemakers, blessed are they that mourn, blessed are they, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the meek. For they shall inherit the earth. They will have the kingdom of heaven. They will have a lot of things. Also, there's a verse that talks about how God uses the weak things of the world Mm -hmm. to confound the wise. Randy Alcorn theorizes with a lot of evidence behind it, that a lot of those verses are actually talking about the way things will be in heaven, in the new kingdom, in the new earth. Yeah. That people who are weak and poor in spirit have difficult situations, are meek, have a lot of trials. The ones that we look at as being lesser than, but are true believers, when everything changes and we're in the new heaven and the new earth, they're going to be the ones that rule. Mm. And I'm like... All those verses in the Bible, I have never understood fully. The Beatitudes, I was just like, what does that mean? How hard do I have to try to be meek and pure (laughs) in spirit and things like that? And now I realize that these eventual rewards may not be on this side. No. They might be on the other side. Here's a fun question. Is blessed a synonym for rich? I'm going to say no, but you're going to tell me why. I know, because like when you say it that way, it's like, well, clearly it's not. But I mean, how often would I say something like, man, God really blessed us this year? Yeah. We made a lot of money. Yeah. Or God has really blessed this ministry. We have seen a lot of people show up. So it's large quantities usually assigned to that word. Yeah. And then you talked about the Beatitudes Mm -hmm. where it's almost like Jesus is like, 
Let me tell you what blessing looks like. Because he says stuff like, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Like, these are not blessed are the ones who have a really nice return on their 401k. Like, he doesn't say that kind of stuff. He and doesn't so at all. It gets a little confusing sometimes yeah. when you grow up thinking about God's blessings. And then, like me, when I first got married with Lindsay, we were not very financially blessed. In fact, it was really, really tight. I mean, I was working two jobs at minimum wage that almost added up to a full-time job. Mm -hmm. Lindsay was still finishing off school, and Mm -hmm. we had those weeks where it was like, okay, you can only fill up $5 worth in your car, and Mm -hmm. we're having whatever's in our refrigerator for dinner. I don't care what it is in there. That's dinner. But... What God blessed us with and what I think God tends to bless people with when he says blessed are the is more knowledge of who he is. Yeah. Because in those years, I got to know God as a provider. Yeah. As someone who kind of works on the hearts of people close to me, we thrived on people's generosity. Mm -hmm. Just a pastor who was like, hey, I'll pay you money to just come pull some weeds out of my yard. Mm -hmm. People randomly saying, I felt like I should send you a check. Mm -hmm. Um, Just little things like that where, you know what, from the outside, you would look at me and Lindsay and not say, God is really blessing their marriage. But God blessed those first years of our marriage because I learned a new part of who God was. The fact is, is that they're not just for breakfast. No. You can enjoy hard-boiled eggs anytime. It's an anytime food. Except you've got to get past the peeling part. Mm-hmm. And it's not appealing. It's very unappealing Unap- because I, see what you did I there. can't do it well. You crack the egg on the rounded end. Not the pointed end, but the rounded end. Oh, okay. The flatter end. Okay, yeah. There's like an air bubble type thing in there. Yes. And it will release the shells. And I just take a spoon, a a teaspoon, and you put it right inside of the shell and go around it and you have a perfect egg. I have never used a spoon. That's interesting. It almost always works with the rounded end. Okay, I've never tried the spoon, so I got to try it now. Thank you so much. Yep. This is seriously a cry for help. Yeah. I mean, we find ourselves in a very difficult spot. We both really, really love hard-boiled eggs. But have you found a foolproof way to peel hard-boiled eggs without losing your mind? I mean, I just boil it, stick it in some ice water, and hope for the best. That is it. I pray. I'm like, okay, God, please let this be the day. And there's always like one, two, or all of the eggs end up looking like porcupines when I'm done with them. Mm -hmm. You just It's going to be a crunchy egg. (laughs) You just learn to live with it. It's either going to be crunchy or it's going to have some divots. How do you make your hard-boiled eggs? You get the eggs out and you set them on the stove or on the counter for 15 or 20 minutes. Okay. And then you put them in boiling water. Okay. For 15 minutes. And then you drain the hot water out, pour cold water in, mm-hmm. and then you just roll them gently and it will peel off. Do I have to talk to them while I'm doing this? Do I have to play Vivaldi or Beethoven? That may help. <laughs> Vivaldi or Dvorak is always good for those. Okay, those are the recommended composers. <laughs> those are the recommended composers. I'm going to admit something, and Taylor, you can tell me if I'm speaking for you as well. Okay. As a firstborn, I don't like to do anything that I know I'm not going to do well at. Yeah. Okay. A, mm-hmm. Peeling hard-boiled eggs, I am not good at. It's hard. But it's a conundrum because I love, mm-hmm. I love hard-boiled eggs. And as a firstborn, you want to do it for yourself. 
So I want to eat the hard-boiled eggs, but I don't want to have to peel them. And I know you're probably thinking to yourself, well, just go buy the peeled ones. No, 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 no. I get eggs from a friend and I want to use those eggs, but I I cannot peel them without going crazy. So we've gotten some pretty helpful tips this morning on how to peel a hard-boiled egg. My wife and I discovered that if you use a pressure cooker like an Instapot Mm -hmm. and you do it for about eight minutes or so, they come out perfect and they will not damage when you peel them. Really? Okay, so eight minutes, like eight minutes on pressure or eight minutes on release or a combination of two? You know, I just push the egg button on my Instapot. Between eight and ten minutes, I've got perfectly boiled eggs. I'm sorry, there's an egg button on your Instapot? Egg button. Yes, there is. Are you a Jetson? (laughs) (laughs) I wonder if there's an egg button on my Instapot. I've had one for, oh, oh, I don't know, three, four years, and I couldn't tell you if it was on there or not. That'd make me really happy if there was. (laughs) All this time, I've had the secret right in my cupboard. (laughs) That's right. Everyone has one. Welcome to summer. Yay! Welcome to nice weather outside, seeing people outdoors. Sometimes nice weather. I mean, when it's not raining, it's pretty nice. (laughs) And like lots of people starting to spend more and more time outdoors. But apparently, there's a whole lot of people who think they could spend a lot of time outdoors. What do you mean? Like there was a study about, okay. A study? Yeah. A real study. A scientific study on the interwebs (laughs) asking Americans how long they think they could survive outdoors on their own. Oh. Like not just sitting on your back patio, not just, you know, taking a walk downtown, but actually outside on your own, my side of the mountain style. Whoa. How long could I last? I think I could probably do like 47 minutes. That, yeah, I don't, I don't know that I do very well, but apparently we're not average. The average American thinks they can survive for 16 days alone in the wilderness. What? Two weeks. Does the average American know what the average American is like? Well, here's the other thing. Later on in this study, they asked them how confident they were in their ability to start a fire. 17%. Not even one in five said, yeah, I could probably start a fire. So there's a bunch of people thinking, yeah, I probably couldn't start a fire, but I can make it a couple weeks. Um, those are kind of not congruent. I know! <laughs> <laughs> so, average American thinks that they can last in the wilderness for 16 days. <laughs> I don't think I know a lot of average Americans. I mean, I'm like, yeah, right. The fact is, for many of us who aren't so outdoorsy, when you go outside... You have an outdoors fail. Have you ever had an outdoors fail, Rose? Oh, yes. <laughs> I don't know. It was probably about six, seven years ago, and I decided to go for a bike ride. I was okay. going to, you know, get some exercise and get healthy. On my bike ride, I managed to fall off my bicycle and fracture my hip. Oh, oh no, Rose! So that's about the end of my bike riding. I, ne- I haven't rode a bike since <laughs> Do you venture outside every once in a while? Well, I do. I do walking now. Mm, yeah. yeah, walking is better. Yes, I managed to stay on my two feet and upright. Good. So. <laughs> Any thought that I could be a survivalist went right out the door after the Duray show. Just spending one night in my house in the extreme dark like that 
with no electricity and stuff, I was like, yeah, no, I couldn't be a survivalist. There's no way. I, I mean, I was lonely and sad one night. But the average American says, yeah, I can make it 16 days living in the wilderness alone. Turns out Bryce might be an average American. We had to live in the wilderness for two weeks with the Boy Scouts. Oh. So I did that to get my badge. How wildernessy was it, Bryce? Were you able to pack candy bars? No. Did you get hurt in any way? Uh, just scraping your decal? <laughs> no, honey, it doesn't. <laughs> okay, well. I'd say if you made it through two weeks of wilderness training with the Boy Scouts and all yeah. you had was a scraped knee, you're pretty good. Yeah, you made it fail for Well, I got a hook through my hand when we went fishing. Are you so, okay? Were you so the okay? first thing you went to was scrape knee. <laughs> Meanwhile, you have a hook through your hand. Yeah. Okay. Bryce, ow. Did yeah. you keep fishing? Yep. Oh, man. Naturally. I think Bryce is hardcore. Yeah. Do you know the average American thinks that they could last in survival mode for 16 days in the great That's a lot of days. That is a lot of days because I got to tell you, every time I go outdoors, especially any type of camping Mm -hmm. fashion, I always end up with an epic fail. Yeah, we have heard enough outdoor fails to know that 16 days is just not realistic. (laughs) When my husband and I first started dating, we went on a camping trip. And we were sitting by the campfire, and then all of a sudden we see little eyes in the background, and we're like, okay, what is that? Got a little closer, and we realized it was a skunk. Oh, no! And all of a sudden, all you see is my husband running into the tent. I see his feet dangling outside as he's zipping the tent, and he leaves me out there with the skunk. No! So did either one of you get sprayed by the skunk? Um, no. No! No, good! It would have been me had it happened. (laughs) I mean, it's really true suspense, because... You never quite know what you're going to get. Really? Well, it's a little bit like a box of chocolates. No, Uh I'm just kidding. (laughs) Now, when either you move into a new neighborhood or you have new neighbors that move into your neighborhood. You don't really know what the neighbors are going to be like. You know, when you see that for sale sign go up Mm -hmm. in one of your neighbor's yards, you think to yourself, oh, new people. Yeah. And that could either be a good thing, a bad thing, or a neutral thing, right? Yeah. It gets scary if the, the for sale sign goes up in one of the good neighbor's yards. Right. I know. That's so sad. We had so a good sad. thing going. I know. Why are you leaving me? <laughs> you know, kind of thing. So, you know, two years ago, I moved into, an, into a neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And God bless me with a great neighbor. I mean, my neighbors are fantastic. You've got I a really love, cool group I, there. I do. They're so good. And, and we all look out for each other. And that's how neighborhoods should be. And I, I, I sincerely appreciate and thank the Lord for it. But I have one neighbor who's actually my favorite neighbor, and I've never spoken to him. Really? Never. But he speaks to me. How? (laughs) You're like, wait a minute. How does that work? This neighbor on a beautiful evening will come outside, sit on the porch in his, it's a bench in his front porch, and he will play the electric guitar. Oh, cool. And he just riffs. Sometimes it's blues, sometimes it's jazz, sometimes it's original, sometimes it's classic rock, sometimes it's I don't even know. But he's good and it just rings out over our little neighborhood, oh, you know? Oh, that's so fun. And all of us love it. Yeah. I, to the point where I, if I hear it, I'm like, oh, and if I have time, I will go and I will sit outside on the front porch and I will just listen to the private concert. That's a great neighbor. I think if we think about it, we all have 
a neighbor like that, that neighbor that's just worth telling stories about. We have an older couple who lives on the side of us. They are a quiet strength on our street that I just love because I feel like they're staple. They are always available. I mean, like they move a little slower. They're not necessarily outside, but they are wonderful neighbors. Mm. I want to interact with them, but our lives are super busy. And so I would make cookies and just leave them on their doorstep. And know that they would get them. Because at, 30 at night, you don't want to ring the doorbell because I might scare them yeah. or it's inappropriate. But that might be when the cookies show up because it just depends on what my day was like. <laughs> I laughed because she said that it is so sweet now because if he gets hungry around bedtime, he goes and checks the front door. <laughs> <laughs> That's <laughs> awesome. You're the neighbor. Yeah, you're the you're interesting neighbor. neighbor. Yes, you no, are. No, I'm, I'm not. Do you have an interesting neighbor? A neighbor who? That neighbor that, fill in the blank, good stuff. Really do no, this is not the neighbor complaint hotline. No, no, no. We want to hear about those fun neighbors that do things that make your neighborhood such a great place to live. In the neighborhood that I was in when I was in high school, we had a neighbor who might have been the most interesting person in the world. I think The he, most interesting man alive? I, I think, yeah. I think he was the, the guy who they wanted for those commercials, <laughs> and then he was like, no, I'm too interesting for that, and they went to the second place. <laughs> this guy was in the Army as an underwater Mind diffuser. Wow! I didn't even know that was a position you could hold, but that was what he did when he was in the army. He could fix anything. I bet he could. Like neighbor Tom, you would just go over and he wouldn't just come over and fix it. He would make you sit with him and he would show you what he was doing so you could learn how to do it for yourself. He was a teacher at heart. He was a teacher. He had uh, two dogs, Bit and Lil Bit. (laughs) Bit was the bigger one. And my favorite thing about him is his love story. Oh, what? He met his wife at a dance when they were, you know, seniors in high school. And a week later, he proposed to her. A week later, they were married. What? And as they're driving home from their wedding, he says, by the way, tomorrow I'm getting deployed. I'm going to need a ride. (laughs) And the girl was like... Um, you could have led with that. Uh, yeah, and she, but she did it, and he went and he served in the military, and they'd been married for decades. Mm. They were the sweetest couple, loved seeing them. We have come back through that neighborhood to say hi to them because they were just so wonderful to us when we were there. Oh, neighbor Tom. Neighbor Tom. Everybody should have a neighbor Tom. The Taylor and Jen Podcast is a product of Northwestern Media, a ministry of the University of Northwestern St. Paul. You can hear more from Taylor and Jen weekday mornings online at life1071.com or on the life107.1 app.